The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me today are Keely Frank. Did it work? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the recording got it. I didn't hear you. <laughs> and, uh, and Nick Wicks. Hey, everyone. You can find us at wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash wattcast. $2 at the Two Rivers tier helps us keep going. $5 at the Tar Valentier gets you access to special bonus episodes, where we talk with special guests about other fantasy series and films. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wattcast.net with the subject line questions. We'll answer them here on the show. <sighs> Today, we are continuing book three of the series, The Dragon Reborn, chapters 36 to 40. Things are moving right along. We start with Daughter of the Night, chapter 36. Parents in the Wolf Dream, uh, we find out that Hopper, though dead, is alive here in the Wolf Dream. The, the wolf that, um, if I'm recalling correctly, sacrificed his life to defend Perrin and Egwene against the White Cloaks in the last book. Was that was that the incident with them? The one who uh, dreamed of flying and now can actually fly in Teleron Riyadh, the world of dreams. Um, Perrin overhears a conversation he's not supposed to between Balsamon and Lanfear, questioning Lanfear's commitment to the Dark One as Lanfear uh, questions the uh, other's use of her world of dreams, which she claims is her own. Perrin also almost gets killed by Rand, same as Egwene almost did. He wakes and tells Moraine about all this. She's not particularly helpful this time, uh, but, but Perrin sort of comes to the revelation, yeah, you should continue to tell Moraine about most things. Uh, meanwhile, Rand wakes up, finds himself surrounded by... So uh, supposed merchants that he murders, deciding that they're all dark friends come to kill him like everyone else around the fire each night. We move to Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve traveling down river, past Carrienne, posing as Aes Sedai. Egwene's having pr prophetic dreams, then the ship runs aground, and they all decide to walk to the next port rather than wait for the ship to get un undone, where they meet three maidens of the spear, one of whom is mortally injured, and uh, Nynaeve heals her, uh, which greatly impresses the maidens who include Avienda and uh, Bane and Shiad. Uh, and we learn a lot about the uh, Aiel and their traditions and culture and uh, some of the clashes with, um, with the wetlands. We had a lot of context here, uh, after which Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine promptly go off and get uh, bashed in the head and kidnapped to be sold into slavery by... Uh, like Kalyan and um, I guess you would just call them like like raiders or or bandits. The three accepted to uh, to it turns out to merge all. We're not sure sure who they're talking about at first, but uh, they they miscalculate their sleeping potion. Egwene and Nynaeve wake up. Elaine is pretty badly injured, but Nynaeve heals her. They burst out uh, ready to wreck house, and all the Aiel have showed up because they were following them along, uh, and and uh, wind up killing all the the bandits who kidnapped them. They're about to show down with the merge all. The Aiel are expecting that most of them are going to die in this, and Egwene and Elaine just start wrecking them, and then uh, like lifting them up in the air, blasting them with fire, crushing them in a ball of air, like down in this tiny little sphere. And then Nynaeve unleashes Balefire, or at least what Egwene believes is Balefire, which just causes them to like cease to exist immediately. And then we get more catch up with the, uh, with the Aiel here and more characters, including Ruark, a clan chief, uh, Avienda's clan chief specifically. Uh, Dalen dies in the conflict, the one Nynaeve healed, which pisses Nynaeve off royally. Finally, we switch over to Matt and Tom, arriving in a refugee-packed town of Irongil, where they rescue uh, the former Illuminator Aledra from Guild Hunter. She was the one who was like, uh, 
amidst all the chaos in Cahien in the la in the last book where Rand and Loyal and Lanthier were like running around the city and everything's blowing up and Aludra gets blamed for all the disaster that goes down, <laughs> kicked out of the guild and uh, is now being hunted for suspicion of sharing their secrets. And uh, she sort of makes friends with Matt and Tom for rescuing her and hands some fireworks over to Matt. I'm sure those won't come back in any significant way later on in the plot. Def definitely not uh, Chekhov's uh, pack of fireworks taken off the mantle here and, and, and gift wrapped and explained to Matt. <laughs> so uh, so that's our, our action-packed chapters for this week. Nick, why don't you kick us off with your, your highlights and takeaways this week? Yeah, uh, this was, I think, as Keely was saying in our chat, this was a fun set of chapters. Um, I think uh, it's interesting. There is this... I guess I'll go through highlights first and then I'll come back to like some things I was wondering, but a uh, lot of good quotes in this one, uh, good, really good character introductions for some like major characters again, which I think I highlighted last time too. It seems like this set of 10, 10 chapters this week and last week has a lot of really important characters being um, introduced. Uh, I think the, the, the goings on of Nynaeve, uh, Egwene and Elaine is a fun plot to follow um, and running into, and like just like the boat, the way that Nynaeve is like interacting with like the boat people is kind of hilarious and <laughs> just it's like sort of like, you know, bullying her way through all these situations and uh, being, you know, overly assertive and her, her relationship with Egwene sort of, you know, going back and forth between wisdom and, uh, and like friend or peer um, or accepted, yeah. I guess, um, was a lot of fun. And um, and then I think that the introduction introduction of the Aiel uh, here is is really good and very important. Um, and then I think also the Matt uh, the Matt Tom chapter. Um, I re I actually remember this one really explicitly. I'm not sure why, but it stuck out in my brain um, as a pretty like uh, just distinct chapter. Um, where he, where they attack the attackers um, for that they were going after Ludra. Uh, so I guess, I guess, yeah, those were kind of the highlights that I had. Um, although I did have uh, some questions <laughs> and thoughts, but you know, maybe jump over to Kili and see what she thought about some of the the chapters this time. I would agree with you that I liked a lot of the same stuff. I think the one thing that like really stood out to me was um when it switches to Rand's perspective for like two paragraphs and the he gets approached by people on horses and like I did not expect the amount of violence that came out of him <laughs> right oh then God, when yeah. he just like beheaded this woman. I was like, okay, this is a Rand I can get on board with for a change, like incredibly violent. Uh, his kind his of chapters paranoid. are so dark throughout or his paragraphs throughout this whole book yeah. like really like, he's yeah. just like <laughs> losing it and then he's kind of i feel like his he's kind of being like taken over a little bit that's how it's coming across uh because then you know he's switching from oh i'm not the dragon i don't want to be it to you want the dragon you're gonna fucking get him yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay 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 um definitely liked having tom and matt together um really enjoyed the aiel parts um, and Aludra, or however you say her name, her interaction with like talking about Matt to Tom, even though he was right there, is like, oh, he's still young, isn't he? Um, and then I can't remember which character it is, but someone just had like the most amazing like section of insults, mm, and oh. I I marked it off, and I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it Aludra insulting the guild hunter who showed up, like her former colleague? Um, she had some choice ones for him. Was that her? 
No. There's a lot of, lot of insults in these chapters. It's um, Chin Elisor on the blue crane who like when they hit something underwater oh. <laughs> and then he's just like screaming all these ridiculous insults at the person. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. So I think we're getting like a lot of personality coming out from all these little side characters and it's just making it more enjoyable. Yeah. I had um the the question I had was that was also about like that chapter um where uh, that yeah, sorry. The so, my question I had was about the Rand chapter, which is I remember like so in the in the book series in the series, and they focus a lot on this later on. I don't think it's a spoiler. Like they talk a lot about Rand's aversion to like killing or hurting women, and this. And so I always look back to this chapter, and I was like super confused about about that um, like motif because it. Like, I think this is the first time that he really unleashes on people, like on humans. Like, he's done it to, like, Trollocs and whatever. But I think this is really the first time that he kills um, people and a woman, right? And I think... Certainly certainly the first time in Cold Blood. He did kill some dark friends in the first book, uh, but mostly by accident and not knowing what he was doing, like with the lightning bolts and stuff. Right, okay. Um, And I think one thing I was confused about is, were... which I remember asking one of my friends who'd read this series as well, were these dark friends or not? Because I think he, mm-hmm. one of my friends said that they were, but I really can't find any indication that says that they were dark friends in that chapter. But I think he said there was like an allusion to that group of people in another chapter as dark friends or something. I don't, I don't know if you have any clarity on that. Oh, I, I thought it was supposed to be wholly ambiguous so that we don't know whether he is just... Uh, yeah, how far off the deep end he's gone, what, what the voices in his head are demanding, or, or just like his sheer terror at being assaulted every night. We already know he's like attacking his own friends in the dream. So I, I just assume anybody who comes here, he is murdering as, as assumed um, you know, servants of Balsamon. Yeah, yeah okay, I kind that's, of assume. That's what I thought too. Yeah, I assume the same thing. And this is really the first book where the, it's all three of them now, Matt, Perrin, and Rand are like, deliberately killing people mm-hmm. it feels like um and so i think we are kind of seeing that uh like character shift where they're killing for different reasons and i really i get more i don't remember it being rand so much not wanting to kill women as much as it was matt i feel like they've said that more with matt but only because like we haven't really heard from rand from the last like five or six chapters they said he ran away and then that was kind of the end of his character for a while but yeah. I remember that more from Matt's character. Yeah, and the, it was weird because they the, in, the, in the chapter, they said at the end, like, he thought there were, like, 10 people, but there were 11 or something, and that I forgot oh, what the yeah, exact term. Yeah. But, and then he said, he indicated, like, one of them he didn't really notice oh. or something, which I, I took to be an allusion to, like, a gray man yeah, like, yeah, probably. thing. And so that's why I was on the fence of whether these were dark friends, like, if one of them was a gray man then that would explain them being dark friends. But also, right, like right. you said, Caleb, yeah. Well, yeah, or, or they were just like a merchant convoy who a gray man was hiding amidst, right? Because nobody notices a, a gray man there in, until they're dead. So that, either way is, I, I think it's, well, it's much more horrifying if they were all innocent that it was just the gray, the gray man there among them. So I think that's like the, the reading I prefer, but it, but it does seem like it's left to our interpretation more than usual. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and maybe that's, Maybe that's confirmed at some point. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing for me with these chapters, which just goes in with everything you both are 
highlighting throughout here is just that almost everything is driven by the agency of our point of view characters, which is something we were moving towards in the second book, but is such a huge change from the first book in so many ways. Like even when we have some of our characters being kidnapped or assaulted or things happening, coming and happening to them, like they are constantly making decisions and taking actions and making these like complex, uh, mo complex moral decisions. They're, they're taking the, uh, they're making these, um, uh, like really, like 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 worldly worldly decision making about the things they've seen so far, the rumors they've heard, the dangers of these area, what they've encountered. It's uh, it's Egwene and Nynaeve and Elaine. They decide to go off the boat and to march their way to town. They decide to interact with and heal the Aiel. They decide to march off there from there. They do get uh, assaulted and uh, and knocked out, and then they decide how to handle the situation coming out. So even even when characters' agency is taken away from them, they are it, we're not just having like. Um, long stretches or chapters where they are bystanders or being pulled along in, in Moraine's wake or, or somebody else or, or even Tom's like, like Tom is Tom is active, but Matt is really the one uh, driving um, the, their course of action in those sequences with Tom's counsel. And we sort of alluded to this last week too, but I think that's a big part about what makes these chapters and this book for me, the most exciting so far, even though even, like there has been a lot of action in the other books, but Everything is more interesting when our point of view characters are the ones who are who are actually deciding things, and and uh, and things are the consequences flow out of their own decisions in a lot of cases, rather than just the world happening to them. Even as the Dark One continues to chase them, and they are um, beleaguered on all sides. Yeah, they're not such idiots right now, too. <laughs> like, <I feel laughs> like they're, they're like starting to like realize, oh, the world is like not as black and white, and it's like scary and we have to be cautious and think through things instead of just like, you know, bumbling through everything and just yeah, like yeah. assuming everyone has good intentions. Yeah. And I, I like that we're getting more from Matt and Egwene where like, it feels that this set of chapters almost felt like Matt's kind of redemption arc because mm -hmm. like he was such an asshole, so evil because of the dagger for so long. And then it's like, okay, now he's with Tom and they're doing stuff together. And then he sees that woman with all of her kids when they get to that town where like everyone's starving. Um, yeah. And he gives her some money. And then like he decides that he's just going a to, lot of money. Yeah, to help. Yeah, he gives a lot of money. He's going to help Alodra or whatever her name is. And uh, <laughs> so it feels like, you know, we are seeing that these are generally like, you know, worthy characters, good characters to read about. We just had to kind of get to this point where like, they are making their own decisions. And I love that Egwene is like challenging Nynaeve on so mm -hmm. many things now where she's, I feel like she's getting almost a little bit cocky where she's like, I know I'm <laughs> fucking more powerful than you. So like, how dare you tell me what to do? But I kind of like it because it's, it's like, it's putting Nynaeve in her place a little bit. I felt like she was kind of a handful for a while of just automatically assuming she's in charge of everyone. Yeah. So I do kind of like that she's like asserting herself. Yeah, all three of them. I, I like that dynamic a lot where <laughs> you have like Elaine the princess used to getting, uh, you know, every everything she wants in life and people doing what she's told. Nynaeve, the village wisdom, the also used to being like the one, the only one in the room who knows what she's talking about and making sure everyone's in order and, and watching her kids and her apprentices like, like Egwene was formerly. And, and like you said, Egwene really stepping to the bat here. And they're all at different points in these chapters. Like they're all... They're kind of butting heads, but they're clearly becoming very close friends. And, you know, Nynaeve and Egwene already are, and they're navigating that change in their relationship as adults. 
And I like that it's like Nynaeve is not just like flatly wrong. She's still like obviously she's angry all the time because she has to be and she's like making herself angry uh, and clearly angry with herself for needing to get needing to rely on her anger to do things. But she makes a lot of good points regularly. Egwene is steering things more than ever, but there's also a lot she just doesn't know jack shit about, like the Aiel, which Elaine is constantly like, uh, uh, well, uh, it's <laughs> Egwene, um, here, let me, maybe let me take point on the geopolitical issues I have some background in, even though, as it turns out, like, you know, even she doesn't really know the half of it with the Aiel, even she knows a lot more than Elaine or than Egwene. And they're all sort of getting their turn to, to really, and, and they're pushing against each other, but not in like a toxic way, not in a, Oh, these, you know, like they're, they're just arguing all, all the time and hating each other more in like a, like loving frustration is kind of the vibe I get from the three of them as they are like sort of finding their boundaries and finding where they fit into this group and present and still managing to present a strong front, like still managing to really impress and wow the Aiel consistently. Her like, oh yeah, these are, these are just like wise ones. The, 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 the way that Nynaeve expresses her contempt for foolishness or for displays of bravado or whatever. So I'm, I'm liking the way that that's coming uh, yeah. too. I had that as one of my quotes that I highlighted. <laughs> that was when they were like, they are just like wise ones after she like totally just acts like, you know, you know, like the boss, but. It was, uh, it's funny. I feel, I feel like the Elaine Egwene thing is a lot of fun. Like you said, with the Aiel, it feels like Egwene sort of like, like yeah. the, Hey, can I touch your hair? And then Elaine's like, you can't do that. Oh my God. <laughs> Just like that kind of dynamic. I think my favorite part with, um, the Aiel though, was the whole conversation about them crossing water and yeah, like yeah. swimming. And they're like, why would we go into water where there's no walls to hang on to? Like the fuck is your problem? Who does that? <laughs> I loved that so much. I was like, that's such a simple way to explain like how scary being in water could be. And then mm -hmm. how they've like, I, I can't remember. Is it like Elaine or Gwen who has like that internal monologue of like, Oh, like they've overcome some like huge fear in order yeah. to, to do yeah. something. And I was like, okay. That's like I like, I like that it's becoming kind of like a, a learning process. Like she's trying to get something out of everything. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just really enjoyed all of the uh, Aiel characters. Yeah, they're they're in a very fun state of like both being in awe of these Aes Sedai and you know, uh, there's these terrifying things like all the water in this world. But they're but clearly they're they're that's highlighted how bold they are in the face of that, just willing to take on any challenge that comes and how and how much they're like constantly bouncing between oh you know like we got like the, our respect for these Aes Sedai above all else but also like this is shit that children should know and they feel like they're kind of explaining baby concepts to them on a regular basis uh including uh I had mixed feelings about the the explaining first sisters uh thing and and the the sort of like on the one hand it's like you know it's cool that we're getting like very different social norms and we're getting the sense that oh yeah like I, I, yield, I yield women are able to occupy like all these places in society that women in in our fantasy Europe area are not necessarily, and they have these very close relationships that I think are are not just they're they're made almost explicit that there is like um, an extremely close friendship that can also be sexual and that you know they can also bring uh, men into it together. But even you know, and but of course, I feel like something that always happens so far, including with the warders and things in Wheel of Time, even where we get hints of um, of of lesbian relationships, or or like there 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 still always has to be a man at the center. That's just like it's always this hedging thing because it's 1990 or 91, and it's uh, and it's this particular author who you know, like who I think is like 
maybe somebody who's like vaguely open to the concept of queer relationships, but it's still all through a very cishet lens and it's all, and it's still through that. Like it's, you can tell it's, there's always this hint of it's through the lens of a threesome, even though there is this kind of fascination with the idea of women being able to have a sexual relationship with one another and, or, and this very close bond that is simultaneously emotional, intellectual, and on the level of like something deeper than, than a marriage partnership is for like the two rivers folks who see marriage as antagonistic and, and, you know, kind of like this perpetual battle between the sexes. There's something available to people of the same gender They is sort of the idea here, I think, to have that closer bond, but that can also be a closer bond with, with men brought... I don't know. Like, there, there, there's interesting things going on here that will be interesting to unpack as we spend more time with the Aiel, maybe. Yeah, I like the definitely the introduction of these types of relationships that are a little bit different and gets everyone guessing. Um it's since, since Dan's not here, I'm going to call out one of the like gender tropes that I, <laughs> that I was like re seeing in, in uh, chapter 39. I thought this was really interesting where uh, there's this paragraph. Um, what are they doing? Where they're, they're in Jareen and they see like these Queens guards and the guards are like, you know, cat calling like the women sort of. And, uh -huh. and then Elaine or, in, in, I think it's Egwene's point of view, and she says, Nynaeve slapped one man's face that almost made Egwene laugh, and Elaine smiled openly. Egwene thought Nynaeve had been pinched, and despite the glare on her face, she did not look entirely displeased either. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's... I, was like, I was like, come on, Robert Jordan, this is like, I know this was the 90s, man, but like, oof, that was like, made me, made yeah. me cringe. Especially in the context of like, it's already established this is a horrific civil war with lots of wanton violence going on. And one thing that is like a, sort of a universal of, of, of like horrific civil wars throughout human history is awful sexual violence, uh, like uh, when uh, the availability of uh, like these bandits and the guards and the soldiers to prey on people because they're outside the constraints of like, you know, the normal watch of communities and society. And it's just roving bands of bandits and soldiers across the countryside, which is acknowledged in these chapters. So it's weird to make a joke out of it, I think, or to think that it's something that Nynaeve would be taking so lightly or Egwene taking so lightly. I feel like they'd be on edge a bit more, given the surrounding experiences. Yeah, yeah. like 100%. <laughs> I like completely blocked that out until you just heard. I was like, what is he talking about? Oh, that fucking part. Yeah. It, it was so unnecessary and mm -hmm. fucking weird. And, and it just... I. Especially because, like, then they talk about, um, you know, when they are uh, kind of knocked out and kidnapped and they she realizes that, like, Lan's ring is on the, the table or whoever. And she's, like, really protective oh, of yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, this doesn't fit her character at all because didn't they allude pretty heavily to that one of her things that she had to overcome was her running naked through yeah. the... the the way whatever it was it wasn't the ways it was that that other thing yeah 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 but it's like it doesn't fucking fit her character no one likes that robert jordan no one there is no woman out there who's like oh i love being sexually assaulted on the street by a strange man when you know i could be murdered any second like fucking no so i yeah. hope that that shit doesn't happen again because <laughs> it's like not acceptable yeah it was just super <laughs> you could just tell this is a hundred percent amazing like if you just read that one patch it's like Absolutely a male author. <laughs> but how about fucking, I think it's that chapter 
where Elaine just says flat out, like, I think Rand's mom was one of the women of the spear. Yeah, putting it together. Like, oh, shit. Okay. Like, <laughs> let's just let's just get it all out there. Let's just fucking go for it. Like, I'm so happy that even though she's kind of, she is becoming more part of the group. I think she had, like, the most horrific injury that any of them have had so far, where they said her fucking skull was cracked. Right. Um, like, you could see her brains almost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they gave her a traumatic brain injury and also the most, like, put together moment. <laughs> of any of these <laughs> chapters so i just i loved that they do that like um because you know, well and then the other like kind of like that is where you know they kept saying we've been saying like just tell moraine about yes. shit so like yeah. perrin goes up and tells her about these dreams which clearly have meaning and she's just like don't ask questions for things you won't understand and i'm like fuck you moraine <laughs> like you've been asking for them to tell you yeah she's being She's being such an asshole. I think she's got to be yeah. really, really on edge about something. Like she and and the way that she even confirms that he's right to be afraid is just in the most unnecessarily like like she's just so callous about. Oh, you do have right to be frightened. Like red sisters would, might kill you in the process of trying to gentle you, and you know it wouldn't work. You yeah. you can't channel, but uh, they'd be freaked out by you being this um, this you know figure they would see as an abomination or or a strange thing and yeah yeah ju the just do not question me and like you you have no idea what you're talking about you don't even know what questions to ask it's like moraine like maybe this is why they were holding back for so long when you t i mean she wasn't like like she wasn't like this before she wasn't like anywhere near this to the point where i think something has to have gotten to her maybe it's rand maybe it's something to do with the drag car attack uh, that almost killed her land and the two uh, the two sisters um well uh, her two sisters the um the lesbian Aes Sedai couple at the cottage um but yes yeah, something's going on with her she's got like her she's really really um taken this uh this extremely hard edge in, in these chapters and throughout this book it's gotten harder harder every book it seems with her feel like kind of like textbook deflection of like i'm scared i don't yeah. have the answer but to make it seem like i'm still in control you yes. need to be fucking scared. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that like perfect thing where like, you know, you're the one cheating. So you're acting to your partner as if they're cheating. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like how your paranoia is coming out. And so it just, it, it, I don't know where he's going with Maureen's character, but I don't necessarily love it because like book one, she was kind of like an enigma and super powerful. And I was kind of rooting for her. And now she's like, oh, maybe that girl isn't creepy and fucking loves you. And like, <laughs> just like <laughs> deflecting and not, and uh, like, what kind of fucking, you don't know what questions to ask. No shit. He's like 18 <laughs> years old from a small town, you dumb bitch. That's why you brought him with you. Because he doesn't know. Like, you're supposed to help him. I know she doesn't like she clearly she knows something more than what she's saying and just <laughs> refuses to give this kid any sort of knowledge whatsoever. Yeah, it uh, it's pretty hypocritical given given her mantra in the first book and her yeah, like even if it is like this core thing she's afraid of. That was what they were you know, that was their situation before. They were afraid of these things that were happening to them and didn't want to tell her as a result, but uh She's turning it around. Um, oh, Nick, you were you were talking about call it like doing like a little mini segment calling out her favorite passages. I th I think or or um, not even passages like like sentences uh, that that stood out to us as maybe Jordanisms in particular. Again, one one of those occurred to me in this passage, which was throughout these chapters. Um, there's a lot of idioms and there's a lot of the, we get some real world idioms like the, you know, oh, better to be the hammer than the nail thing. I think well, whether that's a great or one of the others, but also 
one thing I think Jordan does uh, pretty pretty well, which is like a tricky fantasy thing all the time, is like coming up with all his own equivalents of idioms or his own like fully unique sayings and things. Um, maybe this is a real world one that I hadn't heard, but one of the ones that uh, Parrot is actually doing a lot of these and he's thinking of a lot of, you know, forged metaphors and a lot of his chapters we've talked about is him relating to the world around him through these bits of wisdom he picked up at the forge and two rivers and from, uh, from Master Zaluhan, I think. Um, and one of the ones here where he's deciding that these things are too important to hold back, these little details that he's going to tell Moraine is uh the oh the uh, the it's something like oh he had kept things from her before and he suspected he would again but this might be too important to hold back the pin was the smallest part of scissors and the easiest made but without it the scissors cut no cloth which is you know it's just a very like it's a very it, it obvious but apt like little little idiom one of that one of which we get many many throughout parents chapters especially in these i highlighted that one too that was a that was a good one uh it was like i, yeah, I agree i think he does a good job of of making up his own expressions uh that Swans go along endless with the... fish metaphors and yeah this fish metaphor is a silver pike <laughs> uh the other one all right I, keely you want do you want to go first i don't want to steal all your your thunder i probably have like like 30 things highlighted so <laughs> you should I didn't go first have, <laughs> i didn't necessarily have like specific quotes except for um the uh boat guy <laughs> kind of losing it and oh just, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> saying the most ridiculous shit um oh i tapped it but i lost it but then um i really liked the ideal thing that they were doing like that whole section where they had the merge all like surrounded and they were like hitting their mm -hmm. their staffs i thought that was fucking cool um uh, or yeah. like i mean we have to i know uh caleb you said it but we have to give shout out to hopper for being like i can fly now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like oh my god they're you do it yeah the i think the the one where the, where they were uh taunting the um the merge all i have that as my favorite quote of the time where he i think uh one of the uh yellow goes dance with me shadow man <laughs> Mm. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. And Egwene and has this great bit where she thinks this is like, the merger all don't show fear at all. They're not even capable of it, but the hesitation they show for an instant to encounter humans who are not like immediately just mortally terrified of them is just something that has never happened to them before. Or like humans who have no fear of death that are just fully dedicated to um, taking the merger all down with them. Yeah, I hope that quote makes it into the TV show somehow because I thought that was just baller. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> this, oh, this, for sure. This IEL was like <laughs> badass as hell. Uh, the other quotes I had, let's see, were um, well, the one I think Dan called out was really good, where they said death comes for us all. We can only choose how to face it when it comes, which I thought you know that's profound uh, and makes me think about death. <laughs> and then uh i the i the one i actually really liked a lot too was avienda says um like nynaeve is like just shitting on avienda and the aiel for like moving the mortally wounded girl um yeah yeah and avienda said if we had not brought her here to the river i said i we would never have found you and she would have died anyway and i was like that's right avienda you you tell Nynaeve, like, <laughs> black and white, and, like, fate is uh, a really, you know, interesting, uh, unexpected kind of thing that happens. So those those are those are some of my favorites. Uh, oh, I, I was just gonna, that reminded me we did we did mention Nynaeve overcomes her uh, healing block, healing uh, Elaine because when she heals the 
Uh, the Aiel, they even point out, oh, she does it like a wise one. She uses herbs and, and powders and like all her medical kit and all that. And she's like going through all the ritual of like uh, disinfecting and cleaning the wound. And she like has to do these things before. But then when Elaine is like dying of the traumatic brain injury and it's like a, the emergency situation and they're bound and she doesn't have it, she just gets herself like furious enough to blast with this wave of healing so big it like vicariously heals Egwene's headache. <laughs> And Egwene like catches a glimpse of it and is like, holy shit, I have never seen any weave this complicated. Like what, what, uh, I forget the line, but it's something like what Nynaeve does with the weaves of fire and water and air and spirit and earth, like makes, makes Egwene's lightning bolts look like somebody throwing a, a like a, a lump of mud at the wall or something in complexity, like with the, the way that she's working these together and doesn't know if she could replicate it just yet, but is... And doesn't get a good shot, a good glance at the bale fire either. But so I have questions about that scene because mm-hmm. um, Egwene wakes up first and she looks out the door and she's like looking at everyone that's in the room. And doesn't she say that she thought she recognized one of them? You mean when they're trapped in the like in the hut or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then they never say who it was that she recognized. What's well, the one she saw when she woke up briefly earlier, right? Like she's coming in and out and she sees is is or or do I have it wrong? Was it somebody on the ship or something? What's I don't know. The... Like what I'm trying to find the passage here. Uh it's thirty-nine. Okay. Yeah, it's thirty-nine. Also saw while flipping through Elaine apologizing for uh, I'm sorry we interrupted your dance to the uh Aiel with the, <laughs> <laughs> the shadow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, perhaps we should not have interfered. Yeah, I like that um Elaine kind of took charge a little bit with with so especially recovering from a brain injury that uh where is it so this would be um the end of 39 maybe or close to I it? think oh, I'll, no, the middle of it yeah middle of it I think um nervous gas one of the other men okay a dozen men sat or sit around the room oh there's there's the fair-haired man yeah they're, they're sort of acting like there's the one handsome one is that the one who's Supposed to be familiar, or he'd, like he'd be, he'd be really attractive if he weren't covered in dirt or something. Trying um, to, like, we get a little bit of uh, Nynaeve and Egwene's medical knowledge coming into play with the <laughs> the captors fucking up the sleep draft, which turns out mm-hmm. it was just like um, it was like the equivalent of Benadryl, <laughs> essentially, yeah. or like melatonin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is also I I know I raised this. I think in another episode, but this the, there was. The, I remember this book is also the one where I started noticing when Jordan starts using breasts or boobs like way too often. And there, there was like a scene in this one. There's a couple of scenes where they're like, "Oh, we, she took the uh, the rings and put them between her breasts." Oh, here it is. Ninety four hers on the cord that that held Lan's heavy ring between her breasts, and I'm like, "What? No." No one would think, like, I'm putting this necklace that it's going to hang between my breasts. Like, I feel like no, you know, female author would describe it that way. They would, it would just be, I, I put on this this ring around my neck. It was that, and then it was describing, like, the embroidery or something on yeah, one of yeah. the women's, like, dresses. It was like, oh, it was so fancy across our titties. What's the, oh, yes, yes, the, the, um, there's like a, a men writing women subreddit with uh, <laughs> this famous. Cassandra woke to the rays of the sun, streaming through the slats on her blinds, cascading over her naked chest. She stretched yeah. her breasts, lifting with her arms as she greeted the sun. <laughs> she rolled out of bed and put on a shirt, her nipples prominently showing through the thin f- fabric. And then the famous, <laughs> she breasted boobily to the stairs <laughs> and, and titted downward. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. 
I can't I find, can't find dude, it. I can't find the familiar <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't find it. I swear I fucking read that. Yeah, you're not making that up, but I'm, you've, I definitely remember that thing. I, I just couldn't remember what it was about. Um, maybe it'll come and sleep. Uh, do you have, uh, do you have Nick, any other closing things we didn't get to while we're uh, seeing if we can find that no. message? No, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm good. Uh, I think I got out all that I needed to get out. I like Eludra's characterization. She's got like this kind of, um, worldly wise street hawker thing in a way that there's something about the way she talks, uh, like in this sort of clipped business-like, uh, but very, but she clearly has like a strong code of ethics kind of way and like her own, of her very personal sense of justice about the world. I have a hard time putting a finger on it, but it is, she has like a good subtle characterization that makes her feel different from like, um, you know, other other like merchant characters that we've bounced into or just like other other um con- confident uh like yeah like leaders in the in these societies or or, or i guess there's, there's something about her that feels like oh yeah she her voice is uh, is a distinct character that we haven't quite encountered yet out of the dozens and dozens and dozens of characters we've encountered and that gets increasingly hard to do as you're writing a story like this so i did like that and yeah, so I guess uh, Akili, do you have any final thoughts? And then if uh, if it comes to you later, we can we can. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep looking on... <laughs> for it. Um, the I think the only other thing that I thought I I enjoyed how much like comedic timing there was with certain things. Like, Egwene mm-hmm. um, and Elaine are like standing looking at something. They're like looking. I think they're on the boat and they're like looking out to see if there's like anyone on the the shores. And like out of nowhere, Egwene is just like a gray man. And Elaine's like, fucking what? Where? And like, she immediately like flares with the power. And then uh, Egwene's like, oh no, like my dream. That's what that meant. And I was like, you asshole. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, that's so true. Uh, well, on that note, uh, you can catch us next time uh, reading along with chapters 41 to 45. Yes, 41 to 45. Getting into the last act of the book here. Everyone is getting pretty close to tear which is presumably where things will come to a head. Uh, remember, you can find us all at Wattcast.net. I think that's all I got for this week. Uh, this episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Keely Wimble. Keely, where can people find you on the internet? On Instagram and Twitter at Keely underscore reads. Nick, uh, I don't have any clever questions to catch you off guard for sign off this week. <laughs> <laughs> people can find me in the threefold land with the, uh, in the Stone River. Nice, nice. Ar- arguing about whether it ever actually contained any water to begin with. Apparently a point of cultural contention among the IEL. That's right. You can support the show, as I said, at patreon.com slash wattcast, or uh, follow us for new episodes and, and other chatter occasionally at Twitter and Facebook uh, at Wattcast Podcast. And most of all, you can support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your pod- podcast platform of choice, if it supports such a thing. Leaving a five-star review with uh, even just a few a few words about uh, your feelings on the show helps a lot, bumps us way up in the algorithm. Of course, the number one way you can help the show is to tell a friend about it. Text somebody, share it on social media, uh, you know, just get get the word out. Hey, I'm, there, there's this cool podcast I'm listening to of whether folks are interested in reading along or hearing somebody else read the story for them or, or want to pop in for our conversation about the TV show. A lot of ways to, to listen, even if you're not uh, reading the chapters yourself. That is all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the ending. They're neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But this is an ending. Farewell.
fucking find it. <laughs> Where the hell did I read it? <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'll have to keep looking. But I got distracted for a second because apparently polio is back. What? What? Yeah, I saw it. I saw someone tweet that said polio is back and it's only Wednesday. And so I just Googled polio. And yeah, the UK has declared a state of emergency because polio was found in London. It's like, well, well, why not? Sure. You know what this year doesn't have yet? Fucking polio. What's wonderful.